2: Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favourite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavours to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk, discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Rose Tremaine is an award-winning novelist recognized for her ability to get right inside the minds of her characters, offering the reader a view of the world through their eyes. She's likened being a writer to being an explorer, risking everything to investigate the far reaches of the human imagination. In her book, Sacred Country, we become a little girl who believes she's really a boy. In Restoration, we live the life of a 17th century man. And in her latest novel, her 16th, Lily, a Tale of Revenge, we enter the world world of Victorian orphan Lily Mortimer, abandoned as a baby in 1850 at the gates of a park and taken to the London Foundling Hospital, where she experiences abuse and cruelty that lead to her committing an avenging crime years later. Rose, tell me about Lily and why you wanted her in particular to lead us through this
1: thriller, really, but tale of late 19th century London. Well, I think there are really two reasons. Um, my last book was set in Victorian London, so I had a lot of... I was sort of steeped in the research um, of that time, um, and I felt that I wanted to do something else with it. Um, but also, that there's, um, I was led forward through this um, by a real feeling of co- contemporary anger. That um children are being abused in institutions it's I mean a lot of things make me angry, Mariela, but that makes me really, really angry, and I thought I wanted to make some kind of a fusion between um what happens to a little girl and um go back a couple of centuries and see what was happening then, and you know um make some parallels um which would would speak to to readers now. Well, as um Johnny Rotten, who stormed
2: off this show, uh sings, Anger is an energy. Is it a productive
1: energy when you when you're writing a book? Is it good fuel? I think it's very good fuel to kick you off. I think that um I'm I'm as you pointed out, I think my sixteenth novel or something, so I'm a rather a veteran of this process now. And I don't think you can go through the whole um, length of a novel, the whole year or more than a year that it takes, in a state of of high anger, because I think you you wouldn't have enough um, distance from your, from your own yeah. your own prose to see what was going on. So I think it's perhaps it's a good starter for ten, and then you need to to have to be sort of on top of it in some way.
2: We, we do feign horror frequently at, you know, how children were treated in the past. Do you think that we do so, um, you know, and willfully at the same time ignore how they're treated today? You know, how how the reality, you know, that is the, the, pleasant and good for for
1: many people is not necessarily the reality for many others? Well, I don't think we ignore it. I think, um, you know, every now and again it, it surfaces and... Um, I was aghast to read in just in the last few weeks that a school, where two of my nephews, um, a Roman Catholic school, where two, two of my nephews um, used to go, um there were people there called out for abusing the kids. So I don't think I don't think we ignore it. Um, perhaps there are pockets where this is going on, where nobody has come forward and and called them out. But uh, it's it's in the conversation, and it's it's a very sad part of the conversation.
2: You've always had a, a penchant for time travel. So many of your novels have been set in the past. Uh, how do you set about doing that? I mean, you talked about having leftover research from, from last time. Um, I don't <laughs> yes, we so don't like sort to sort waste things. <laughs>
1: things.
2: <laughs> well, it's not, want not, no, no. Yeah. So. Um, but, but 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 how deep do you go in terms of, of research and where do you go to find it? I mean, it's very difficult to think of this period. It's been so defined by Dickens, hasn't it? So uh, is he a star? point. Where where do you go to to immerse yourself in this period of of Victorian Britain?
1: Oh gosh. Well, how long have you got? <laughs> um, it, it, Half an it, hour? Yeah. Um, uh, no. I mean, my 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 avatar is not it for this book. Actually, is not Dickens. It's it's uh, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, which mm. um, as as I'm sure you will recall, is not a not a who done it. It's a why done it, which is um, you know the the form that this novel takes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sort of um, <laughs> aligning myself to the talents of Dostoevsky. But the, that was, yeah, that was one of the the kind of the dark areas of research for this book, um, which went went everywhere. Um, it, it it went into you know there's quite a lot written about the Quorum Hospital where most of this takes place, um, but also um, all the all the knowledge that I have stored up over over many. Years really about um, Victorian society and and particularly the treatment of of women in in Victorian society, which was, as we know, it was lamentable. And one of the saddest things for me, um, for my little character Lily, is that at, at Corum she's um, they, they they teach the boys a, cert, a certain amount of um, helpful stuff, some craft um, material and so on. But the, with the girls, they didn't feel that education for the girls was really important. Um, she's taught to sew, and that's and uh, to sing, and, and that's about it. And I felt very sad about that. And I wanted to create somebody, in, and I hope this is turns out to be the case, who um, has enough sort of self-belief, self belief, enough will, enough strength in in her to um, make her way through what starts off as a very very difficult life.
2: It's interesting that you say that, um, uh, uh, you know, in terms of women in Victorian times and and also your character Lily and the journey you wanted to take her on, uh, because you just said, uh, you know, you mentioned Dostoevsky, which you're perfectly uh, in your rights to do, and (laughs) then excused (laughs) yourself by saying, you know, I'm not aligning myself to his talents. And and I know for a fact, having interviewed very many novelists in my time, that if you were a male novelist, you would have just mentioned Dostoevsky as an inspiration and carried on. It's probably
1: true. It's probably true. But he certainly was an inspiration. That's sort of the deep darkness that goes to that novel and the and the kind of the, the I mean in particular one thing, the way that, that um Raskolnikov after he's committed his crime, which he feels is a, is in a way is a justifiable crime because he sees this old pawnbroker that he kills as somebody who is preying off society and he absolutely hates that. But what he didn't bargain for, and, and this is something that, that happens to my character too, is the way that if you've if if you are guilty of a transgression of that magnitude you are in some senses forever cut off from from the rest of humanity you you have to do something extraordinary really to to claw your way back there's a haunting that goes on and and part of this novel was to chart the progress the progress of this haunting and see whether lily could ever um be free of it whether she could ever come out of it
2: Uh, You've neatly dodged uh, the apology for not being as as great as Dostoevsky. And and I do think that it's an interesting um, element which is reflected in the story, which is this thing about, you know, women's confidence and and claiming territory for yourself. and I wonder if it's something that, that you also recognize in yourself as a sort of, you know, doing that apology uh, <laughs> is, is something that we're, 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 we're sort of nurtured from, from birth to, to, to do, to kind of go, no, no, I mean, I'm not ambitious. I'm not great. I'm not, you know, any of those things. <laughs> well, I don't, I
1: I, I wouldn't. Like to, to make quite such a general observation you know me <laughs> <laughs> um I mean do you feel it Mariella? I don't think you feel that really do you um, I do
2: I do I think that that, that you do that women uh, apologize for uh, being seen to presume to think that they're anything mm-hmm. special and I think mm-hmm. and I think girls definitely grow up with far greater levels of insecurity about their capabilities and their talents uh, than boys do I mean maybe under Underneath the surface, boys experience it too, but but they're definitely taught mm. to keep it way beneath the surface. Well, we're constantly kind of bowing down and going, "Sorry, sorry,
1: whoops, yes, I'm oh, still no, here." No, no, sorry, no. yeah, yeah. Or, or perhaps, or perhaps it's a it's a deliberate sort of dissembling. Do you think? I mean, what I what mm. I quite like doing is sending myself up. I, I mean, it, it quite amuses me to 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 send thing, to send myself up. Um, I, I don't particularly like sending other people up, but to send myself up is. It's quite liberating, I think. Um, that doesn't mean to say, um, uh, I mean, to get serious on this moment, that I um, I don't have um, a certain degree of, of um, self-belief and tenacity. I wouldn't have survived as a novelist for, what is it, 40 years or something hideous um, if I hadn't got that self-belief. Um, and I think, um, it, it, miraculously, even though I'm getting rather ancient now, it's still... It's still with me, but I I do like like on the surface to kind of mock my endeavours and to um, just, uh, well, just to sort of try to, to not take myself tremendously seriously.
2: There are parallels with with Lily's experience in in terms of, and I'm not trying to draw this too autobiographically, obviously there's a bit of uh, every writer in every book they write, but it's not necessarily a direct connection. But but you did have a rather traumatic time when you were 10 years old. Uh, Lily's is a a lot younger at, at six. I wondered if we could talk a bit about, you know, young Rose and, and how those experiences shaped you you becoming a, a writer. Your father left your mother when, when you were 10. And that sort of brutal thing that seems to happen to a lot of, you know, well-to-do uh, British children was you were then sent off to boarding school, or probably to protect you, I presume, but all of it must have felt incredibly traumatic at the time.
1: It, it it was really weird because i think i, I could say that my childhood until then and up to the age of 10 had had been uh, sort of i mean we this, we're talking about the 1950s so it's post war london you know there was a bomb site on our road so the, the it was there was not great material comfort i think the house was probably quite cold and so on but it was it was a happy enough um childhood and i was very happy in my school and then um yes when i was 10 my father left left my mother and um went off with somebody else um my mother decided um to marry again very fast um so my sister and i were faced with with not only the loss of our dad which was horrible but um there was a move mooted so we lost our house um we lost our school, our friends, everything. It was like we had to sort of start. We had we had our mother and then a new stepfather, who in fact turned out to be a rather adorable man. So we were we were lucky in that respect, but it was a very very stressful and strange time. And I recall, in my first term at boarding school, which indeed I got used to. I, did, I mean, it's not this isn't a terrible sort of poor old me story um, because I did get used to that school and did some some quite um, interesting things in it, like writing plays and so on. But I discovered um, very early in my first term that um, writing little stories, about not about me and what had happened to me, but um, completely people, either magical people like mermaids or clowns or that kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, thing, oh, pe- that's pe- what people, stories are made of. People outside myself, that actually this was immensely consoling and I think got me through that first term. And then, well, other things indeed come in, don't they? When you, you find yourself in an institution, you, you, there's friendship. And I come back to friendship in, 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 um, in Lily. You know how she makes this very sweet little friend. Um, and that's another of her many tragedies, really. But um, friendship's very, very
0: important. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Rose, we, we started talking there about your experiences when you were a 10-year-old. Uh, I think it was more than 40 years that you spent not
1: drawing in your own <laughs> life
2: in any direct way uh, in fiction. But in I probably talked
1: to you about this when, when we were on our, <laughs> on our Booker Committee. I said, I'll never do it. We did we did talk about it and you yeah. said absolutely no no, no, and no I I, no. I kept very quiet
2: when you did <laughs> yeah. because everyone's allowed to change their mind. But but, but you wrote a, a memoir, Rosie, Scenes from a, a, a vanished life and in it you write about a, a cruel mother and an absent father, a, a beloved nanny and, and so many of the things you just mentioned in terms of, you know, school days and so on. was it difficult to make yourself the centre of the story? Because where you've the terrain that you've explored in the past has always been of the imagination rather than, you know, of terra firma?
1: Yes, well it's a very that's a good question. No. The answer was it it, it wasn't difficult. Um, little Rosie. Um nobody calls me Rosie no. Um in fact I, I, I get quite angry if, if that word is mentioned. I don't I really don't like names are important, I think, and I just don't like being called Rosie. But everybody called me Rosie all through my childhood. So Rosie is a separate person from who I have become and actually entering on on sort of the memory lane of Rose's life uh, was just very intriguing and you know when you go down um, a memory path, um, it's like sort of a branching tree that you, you, you you're on the trunk of a story and then it branches off in different places and you remember more and more. I was never been a, a keeper of diaries, so I didn't have much actual material. To go on, other than some some comic photographs of us all as as little girls, but I I've it wasn't a journey that I found all that hard. What I knew right from the start was that I would end the journey when I, I'm almost grown up. I end it when I'm about seventeen. Um, I didn't want to write a grown-up member uh, a memoir naming and and. Or possibly even shaming people, or shaming mm. myself. Or um, I, I was—I uh, mean, it was possible to write about my parents because they're no longer alive, and I don't think I could have done it. I think it would have been too hurtful to them um, to have written this book when while they were living. Um, so their not being around released me into the possibility of doing this and once embarked on it as I say it it was was like a sort of little growing forest and I was then really quite sad to to finish it but what I'm pleased about is that is that the younger generation my daughter and my nephews and nieces uh, have read it and and kind of recognise things about their grandparents, and um, recognise things about me and my sister that, that have kind of carried on through our lives. So, it's it's become it's become a little sort of family item, which is which is interesting. Far more, well, I, I think you like. Far- Far more than my books, really. Yes. <laughs> well, no, children never read their parents' No, out, No, no, no. Or, no. Or, you know,
2: no. Or, or, you know, whether it's music or whether it's books or whether it's, you know, mm. they're not just not interested, are they? It's very hurtful if you allow it to be. Um, why don't you like being called Rosie? I think it's quite a nice name. Do you name. think it's quite sweet? Do, do you find yeah. it patronising or what, what, what?
1: I, well, I, yeah, no, I, I just, um, um, I've got a friend whose whose granddaughter is called Rosie, and I, I found myself asking her the other day, is is she is she bearing up, you know, is 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 this blighting her life being called Rosie? I couldn't quite tell you, Mariella, why I I don't like it. Um, I suppose it's, I suppose sort of underneath all the banter, I think of myself as a quite serious person, and it doesn't strike me that Rosie is a very serious name. It's it's um. I don't know. It's 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 redolent of 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 kind of um, I don't know what a sort of sort of flirtatious sort of unserious name. Whereas Rose, the single syllable, is o- I'm okay with that. Uh, it's Do it's not think- it's not tremendously it's <laughs> not tremendously logical, but I just feel it quite strongly. It's interesting. Do you think that
2: you've you've had to try harder to impress your seriousness on people because you were beautiful and young and Privileged uh, to an extent. I mean, obviously not emotionally, but but you know, mm. from from the view of the outside world, do you think that you had to work extra hard to to make people understand that you were it's serious about what you were doing, serious about your writing?
1: Do You know, I think all women have to do that, don't you? Don't you? I mean, but I'm hopefully less now than when I was starting out. When I was starting out in my late twenties as a writer, I think. Um, yeah, I, I I think people. Um they, they knew, I suppose, the people who knew me well knew that I had been doing, um, you know, writing plays at school, for instance, and, and putting them on, which was which was a, a glorious thing to do, actually. I mean, the only time in my life when I've been able to write a play, direct it, star in it, um, build the scenery, and, and do control. the makeup. Control, <laughs> Yeah, control, control. So, yes, I, I, I suppose that you're right. I suppose um, perhaps this name change... Um, was allied to a feeling of um not so much as being taken seriously as that I think I grew up in a in a in a family with and particularly in the influence of my mother, where we as young women we weren't expected to do anything we were expected to assist the guys in their search for whatever they wanted to do as i don 't know as wives or secretaries or whatever. Support. And I figured it quite early on that actually this was going to be a dull way of living and that I wanted to, even if it was going to be hard, I wanted to do something. And the only thing I knew that I potentially could do well was writing, because I'd always done it. And indeed, I mean, I, as I said, I, I relate in, in the Rosie memoir. My father was a writer. He was a playwright. Um, and... So, I think there's something complicated going on there that actually uh, um because his writing career didn't get nearly as far as he would have liked it to have got um it was full of disappointments and i th- I think I felt quite early on I, th- I felt to myself it doesn't have to be like this if you work away at this, if you're really quite good at it maybe you're not your life isn't full of disappointments. you will have disappointments because we all do, but mm. it do- they don't have to be kind of things that that absolutely uh, shatter you, so that you that you give up, um, so I think I was trying to sort of redeem something out of my my father 's life in a complex way um, i don 't know that i 've ever analyzed that very closely, but I think there was something of that going on in your relation to your your question about seriousness
2: mm. when looking back on on your writing career, I, I was struck that many of your novels now seem almost prescient in their timeliness you know tackling issues that are still at the front of the cultural agenda like immigration in the road home transgenderism in in sacred country which was reissued not too long ago and, and peter tatchell described that book as a rare groundbreaking illumination of transgender life and a conversation that we're often having on this program is on on writing from experience and writing about the experience of others and the whole debate about appropriation which rages, um, you know, at the moment in particular
1: from marginalised groups, would you write that novel today? Absolutely not. I mean, and, well, this is a long conversation, isn't it? But no, I, I couldn't do it, um, and I'm sure you would agree with that, that actually I, I wouldn't, just, I, it wouldn't be published, it wouldn't be something that I would embark upon. Um, so it's it's very difficult. I mean, you, you mentioned that novel and you also mention... Um, My novel, The Road Home, um, which is about the immigrant experience. And I remember there thinking at the time, perhaps there isn't long for people like me to kind of pretend to be um, people who are coming into this country. They must find the voice to write their own stories. I remember thinking that at the time, but nevertheless, being very, very interested in the journey that this guy makes and wanted to, to go on on it with him but i think that the whole question of cultural appropriation and what we can and cannot say what who we can and cannot be i think it's very vexing for writers like me because that's exactly what i've done you know i mean you know my work quite well i mean I, that's exactly what i've done i've sort of pretended to be people whose lives are outside my own experience and this is sort of what has has kept me going as a writer so i I'm in a, in a state of perplexity now i i I honor the fact that you know it's not appropriate to do to do and pretend certain things, but i'm not quite sure where i mean i don't know if you've got any suggestions mary <laughs> where that leaves a writer like me i'm not quite sure where it leaves me perhaps it's perhaps it's saying to me well it's time to time to stop
2: well you you, you mentioned anger at the beginning uh, of our discussion, and uh, i can't imagine it not provoking some degree of rage at times if I was a novelist to be told that there are limits to what I can imagine. Because for me as a reader, you know, books have always been about people taking me On journeys. And, and, you know, you've described actually that the the process of writing as being, you know, like being an explorer, you know, as I said in the introduction, taking you to the furthest Yes. And now they've taken away,
1: taken away my country. They've taken away the countries I could go to from there. I can't, I've got to stay here. I've got to write about home. You know, I I don't know. I I don't think there's, um, uh, yeah, I I think it, it it does, it does make, I don't know about angry. It makes me feel a bit sad that actually, Sort of that, uh, that my territory is suddenly, which seemed always vast, and that I could go anywhere that I wanted, provided, provided you do it well. No, this is this is the the thing that's never quite sort of in the discussion at the moment. That that it's terrible to to, to engage with somebody else's life and do it badly, um, so that it doesn't feel real. I um, mean, mm. I like to think that where I've I've worked on on experiences outside my own, that, it, that the end result has felt real and true. Um, but if you don't
2: work on experiences outside your own, then you're constantly writing a memoir, which would be very boring for everybody. Well, exactly, you know, and, else and, and out I'm there. sworn
1: not to write the memoir beyond the age of seventeen because it would be so, <laughs> it would be so embarrassing. And well, <laughs> you say that, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold you
2: to it. Just finally, uh, Rose, in, in in 2019, you underwent surgery, rather difficult surgery for pancreatic cancer. You've always described writing for you as. Uh, a way of feeling well, a place you go to in order to feel better, a place that you hide at times, where you explore from, but that ultimately that, that, that it makes you it, 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 it's a palliative in a way for you. has it been uh, in the aftermath of your illness, was it while you were sick?
1: Yes, it was one of the the, the, the worst agonies of, of being so ill for so long was that I couldn't write at all. I, couldn't, I literally couldn't write my name. I couldn't operate the keys on my phone. You know, I thought, I'll never get back to the life that I had. So it, it was very slow. My recovery was very, very slow. But when I got back, the first thing that I felt I should... Well, not should, the first thing I wanted to do was to try and see my way towards writing another novel. And once I was embarked on that, on that journey, I felt better. I felt as if I was on a new kind of pathway.
2: And are you well now because we're all very invested in you keeping on writing?
1: <laughs> well, I'm well, but yes, but my territory's gone, isn't it? I'm, I don't know where to go now. I think, I think writers like me are kind of um, in, in a bit of a limbo, but um, I'm working on the solution. I haven't found it yet, but I'm working on it.
2: Thanks for listening to Mariella meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time.